0: Well, welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. Today we're going to be hearing from Pastor Nathan Hoff. Using the acrostic H-E-A-R-T or heart, Pastor Nathan Hoff will help us reflect on the life of David and apply the themes of hope, endurance, affections, relationships, and thanksgiving to our lives. Talking about endurance today, so Whew. that's what I scored lowest on on my test. Anybody else have the low score on endurance? Does the message of rest and connecting with Jesus sound really good when you hear the mission statement? You're like, I can do without recreation this week. Renewal would be great, but I need rest. Today, maybe, is for you. So um, a word about the um, mission of, the, of Mount Carmel. I, one of my great um, motivating Things right now in my life is recognizing more and more in the church at least the the movement of Christians that i'm most connected with a lack of uh, what I call leadership pipeline that is that in the in the olden days there were these pipelines there were these pipelines that uh, cre- that kind of Cranked out leaders, you know youth encounter was one of those things um, the Bible Institute movement was Certainly one of those things it was for my wife and I man We went there and we we were given space to try on leadership and to try on leading a song and to try on uh, You know leading other people our age and try on reaching people and try on serving and we had space to fail and space to learn and it was a space of grace you know it was a, it was an atmosphere of grace and it 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 let you test out ministry okay endurance oh i'm going to breathe again okay uh endurance isn't always that's connected there not valuing it i have to be honest i don't i don't value it i value other things more than maintaining Endurance, and the problem with the problem with not tending to it is the train wreck that comes, and we'll see that eventually in David's life. David looks pretty good after yesterday's talk. He looks actually pretty good after today's talk. Everything goes south, you know. Tomorrow, I mean, it's going to be train wreck basically from here on out in David's life. But uh, let's enjoy it while the getting's good. Part of the reason that uh, David walked, uh, he he walked at times, and by by holding us, I don't mean that he was, you know perfectly holy he'd never say that about himself uh but there was times that that he had this this you know moxie kind of faith you know this chutzpah kind of faith that that he could he could say no to his flesh you know he could he could enter in for a greater cause he he's just a a, kind of a hero you know what i mean the kind of person we heard about in Sunday school, you know, and I, I don't know if your Sunday school is like my Sunday school, I heard hero, hero stories about David and very little of the, of the dirty laundry of David's life. You know, kids, today we're going to talk about Bathsheba. Here's the flannel graph. You know, No, that's not, that doesn't come. That doesn't come in the flannel graph. Like, ah! <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and uh, so we just heard about hero David, and in a, in a way... You know, the message is, dare to be a Daniel, dare to be a David, you know, try to aspire to be this hero. And then you actually read the Bible and you go, that guy is messed up. I can relate to him more, actually, in the whole story of his life than I can in just the heroic stories of his life. And so those those times that were David's strong points were marked by endurance he had strength he had strength so i want to i want to look together at a few stories i know i'm picking and choosing some stories from around and so this isn't a chronological uh life of david that we're looking at 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 this week really we're 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 taking episodes uh from his life um i call endurance patient faith that is faith the the like if if like ambrose says and that uh Faith is the mother of a goodwill. Faith is the mother of good works. Like, faith gives birth to something. Uh, faith, endurance is faith giving birth to patience. Faith giving birth to patience. Uh, so it's a patient faith. And I was thinking about a time in my life when I was patient. I, I, you could ask my wife. I'm not normally marked by patience. Um, but I was thinking, Joy, the hardest summer I ever worked, uh, I think you remember it. It was a lot of jobs. It started early in the morning. I was a custodian. Early in the morning, then I'd go paint for a guy that was the grouchiest guy you ever met in your life. And then I'd come and just collapse. Um, And Joy was working uh, at uh, LBI Seattle that summer in the conference department. That was the hardest summer I ever worked. And why did I work so hard that summer? Because it was producing the best thing I ever bought which was an engagement ring. And I knew that was what was, I was pretty sure that was what was lying at the end of the summer, you know what I mean? I had Douglas Cater Jewelers working on this engagement ring, you know? And uh, it was worth getting up really early in the morning. It was worth working for a grouchy guy in the afternoon. It was worth collapsing at the end of the day. And I collapsed with a smile. You know, after this grouch just barked me out, you know what I mean? All afternoon, I went to sleep with a smile every night. Why? Because there's some, there's, hope is actually connected to endurance, isn't it? Hope actually flows into endurance. In fact, the great, I think the greatest help in holiness, that is living living—you know, the life that God intends for us, which none of us do, but the greatest help in the life of holiness is hope. When we lose hope, we, here's what we call it. We give up or we give in, right? That's just the normal language we use for hopelessness. And we see this, we see this all around us, this loss of heart, this loss of endurance because we've, we've lost hope. Will the affection of, oh, I was going to say too, I'm, I'm a, you know, you do the um, love languages. Do you guys have the love language talk and mine is um words of affirmation Joyce's works of service i remember one time she worked really hard one day and she said like you know um jesus said to peter do you love me do you love me what did what did uh jesus say for peter to do feed my sheep joy said nathan do you love me i said yes she said wash my feet no rub my feet <laughs> <laughs> It rhymed, rub my feet instead of uh, watch my sheep. <laughs> she, didn't ha- she didn't have sheep, and so she <laughs> applied it. Lo- love for joy is not I love you. Love for joy is uh, foot rub, you know what I mean? Or wa- you know, clean the toilet, you know, or you know, do-, do what you said you were going to do. It works of service. And uh, for me, it's words. And I have come to have this Google translator between what she says and what I hear. She says something, and I hear, Nathan, I love you so much, you know, uh, she, but my favorite thing she says to me is, Joy, you know what I'm going to say, you are worth the work. <laughs> 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 that is pure poetry to my ears when she says you're, you're worth the work. It's like, uh, you know, it's tough right now, but you're worth the work and uh so but that that's that's endurance isn't it that's uh that's a word of of endurance and lord knows joy is needed lots of it the affection of endurance was kindled in david's life by a few things and i have them just written out there on your on your sheets the first the first one is uh what i call respect for god's office David had a respect for God's office, and you could look this up on your own. It's a, kind of a similar story in both places, but in 1 Samuel 24, uh, now, Saul is just on the hunt for David. In fact, he's been become kind of neurotic. I would say that's actually probably a good description of, of Saul. He's neurotic in trying to, like, contain David, you know, to... To manage his his popularity, to uh, diminish uh, David, to dishonor David, to devalue David, to let David's stock go down in the public square, uh, to kill David, um, and so David is is on the run away from from Saul all the time. Saul is still the king. Uh, And david has these uh, few opportunities where saul is right within grasp and in in first samuel uh, 24 uh, It says when saul returned from the philistines. He was told behold david is in the wilderness of engedi and saul took Three thousand chosen men out of all israel and went to seek david and his men in front of the wild goats rocks And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and saul went in to relieve himself Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of that cave. It's kind of awkward. (laughs) And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. You may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, and my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you. See to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now what does this do to Saul? As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. If a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. And now behold, um, excuse me. I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. It happens again two chapters later. <laughs> this time, this time with a spear. David gives that back, too. Um, these are signs of, of Saul's authority, aren't they? His, out, his garment and his spear, signs of his power, signs of his authority. And David even felt guilty in taking a portion of it, you know, and he gave it back, and he gave the, the spear back as well. And this is what I mean by respecting God's office the uh, the opposite is rejecting God's office Uh, David applied it well to Saul's royal call and it kept David. there was a preserving enduring grace connected with respecting the office of Uriah's wife right that's also an office and it exhausted him it killed, it, it killed something inside of David's heart when he disrespected the office of husband and wife. That's a, that's a more core office than even king. I mean, it's more primary. It's more personal. It's even closer to the heart, and it was so destructive. But the affection of endurance is kindled in David's life by respecting God's office. Uh. I, I will trace. I will trace my exhaustion frequently to disrespecting God's office. And in even the office He gives me, the offices He gives me, He's given me um, a few offices. Uh, and occasionally, we, like for instance, I've been in the uh, at Trinity, the church I serve for uh, 13, nearly 14 years. October would be 14 years. And so, I'm getting to the point where I'm the, the pastor in our town. There's, there's about two pastors that have been there longer than us in San Pedro. Um, and the, a, a local church close to us has been uh, without a pastor for three years. They, they've issued four calls and been returned or different, for different reasons. And it's a church that our church is in uh, fellowship with. Our kids go to the school there. And I hurt for them because they don't have a pastor you know and they they when they have a, a funeral they they call me sometimes and i've been doing school chapel there and graduation and i'm kind of you know uh i'm not drawn to that that church but i'm i care about it i see the the actual in the ecosystem of our town that church and the school is really significant and i think i must know everything about you know uh god's ecosystem in our town because i have to go and help this thing you know what i mean and then i start to think well what they really need is and i'm kind of going like this into this jurisdiction that frankly was never my mine in the first place i don't have a call from that church uh except on phone call can you do chapel you know what i mean uh and and i with my elders they the elders yep help serve there when they, have, when they have need in those ways, so I'm not going outside and being sneaky about that, but I, in my imagination, I start to think about w- what they really need is, what they really need is, and I become their call committee, and I become their church council, and I become their congregation, and I'm not kidding, I started getting exhausted about it, literally, uh, and all the, all the fixes that I had in mind for this, this other place, this other people, um, and <laughs> we we, uh, we went to a, a church a couple Sunday nights ago. We had, didn't have a, we usually have a Sunday night service, but we didn't have one. It was Father's Day. They said, what do you want to do? And I wanted to go to Vintage Church, it's called, in Santa Monica. So we went over for the evening service, and at the end of it, they had time for personal ministry. So I'm like, well, I kind of miss out on that sometimes. I'm going up. I'm getting whatever God has for me. And I, well, did I know, you know, he had a little something sneaky for me, but... Um, and I'm standing there, I'm going, I'm, I'm exhausted, I just need to be filled up, you know, fill me up, Lord, fill me up, Lord. And the word I kind of, you know, how you get that little, sounded a little bit like this, mind your own business. It was nicer than that, but that was basically the sum up of it. Um, like, part of the reason, do you want to get at the root of why you're exhausted, or do you just want a little little spirit tinkering in you at this other church so that you can go back and continue to live in a jurisdiction that was never yours in the first place you know and the respecting of God's office in my life is living in the bounds that he has called us to it's a jurisdictional situation and he has not called you to exhaustion he's not called you to exhaustion my yoke is easy. Is there a yoke? There's a yoke. My burden is light. Is there a burden? There actually is. It's just light. <laughs> I'll take it, right? Because I'm, I'm so used to carrying around a heavy burden and a hard yoke that the easy yoke and the light burden is a wonderful exchange. It's a jurisdiction it's a jurisdiction, um, and it's connected to a calling. It's, a voca- it's the doctrine of vocation, and it, it's so key to understand what your vocation is. We'll talk a b- bit more about this with relationships, H-E-A-R, on Thursday, uh, and, but the, the vocation and, and recognizing what someone else's vocation is. It's confusing. Sometimes I need a whiteboard. I brought it out. I don't know if I'm going to use it or not. Uh, I got one in my office because I'm sitting in counseling sessions and usually it's like, okay, let's talk about this vocationally. You know, what are you called to? What are you called to? What are you called to? Uh, and when there gets to be some clarity with God's office, what God has actually called me to, you imagine Dave look, David, <laughs> Dave, David looking at the, uh, the country and going, our our leader is uh, awful and I have a vision for what this country could be and our leader's a compromiser and I, I walk with conviction our leader goes to mediums and I go to God obviously I should just take matters by my own hands Obviously, I should just take the garment. Obviously, I should just take the spear and help make happen what it, it seems evident that God has already made happen. And David just was disciplined in respecting God's office in this case. And I think it created and it, 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 it kindled the affection of endurance, that enduring kind of patient faith uh, in, in David's life. There's a few, I call them persuading words that, that, uh, that go, go with this. First uh, Samuel 24, I didn't go through that whole story, but First Samuel 24, uh, verse 6. Oh, I think I did, actually, didn't I? 24, verse 6. He said, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, to the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Um, and then I think about the, in the... Um, End of the uh, book of Ephesians. Not the end of the book of, the, of Ephesians, but at the end of the way that we walk in this world. Um, when he's talking about um, the various relationships, the various vocations, um, he's talking about husbands and wives. That's the that's the core. That's the core vocation, actually, outside of being, being beloved son and daughter, because it's the foundation of the of the family. Um, and then parents and children, and then um, slaves and masters, in the words of uh, Ephesians. Um, and what the, the catechism kind of sums up all this stuff and all the other teaching of the scripture in the same way, In something called the table of duties, if you're uh, familiar, toward the end of the um, small catechism. And it's like, here's what, what this person owes to this person, what this person owes to this person. It's just quotation of scripture. There's no commentary at all in that, in that section. Uh, and, and it is defining, it's helping define what we're called to. <laughs> we had the very difficult question. I can't believe I'm bringing it up right now. Oh my goodness, Lord. Mercy, Lord. Uh, of submission. You know, come up in our adult Sunday school class. Well, submit to, submit to. And I loved uh, Pear Anderson. He he raised and he said, "I think I think what we're supposed to do is listen only to what we are being addressed as." Because it's amazing to me that the first memory verse that every young husband memorizes is, "Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord." I don't know any other scripture in the whole Bible, but I have put that to memory. Right. And I think God might say, mind your own business. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives love to memorize that verse. And then what we do is we take God's precious word and we weaponize it against each other. (laughs) Right? Well, it also says... Well, it also says, and we take the spear in a way, don't we? We take the garment from the other one, and isn't there enough business husbands to do in what God has actually told us to do? And why is this? I'm guessing there's probably enough business to do in what God has told you to do. Uh, There's this vocational, jurisdictional um, definition that when we weaponize it against each other, it kills our endurance, when we're more concerned about our spouse's obedience to God's word than we are about minding our own business of what God is speaking, uh, what he's speaking to us. Pastors love to know, hear, love to memorize the verses that are geared to peop the you know, honor that, you know, the hearers are supposed to give to the preachers. And uh, congregations love to memorize the passages that pastors owe their listeners and here we are, we're weaponizing again. We weaponize this stuff uh, against each other. It's very different than this, this sense of, I'm giving you an, an easy burden and a light yoke. Um, and it, it, you, don't, you actually don't have shoulders broad enough to handle the, the easy burden and light yoke I'm giving to someone else. It's just too much for you. Respect God's office. Respect God's office. Second one is remaining God's friend. Remaining God's friend. Let's go to 1 Samuel 18. Oh, Saul, this is in the context, a beautiful context of, of friendship, actually. 1 Samuel 18, David and Jonathan's friendship. As soon as he'd finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servant. They were coming home. David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, songs of joy, musical instruments. Women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. David has tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And this is the verse I wish I could just skip over, but I guess I can't. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I'll pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Does that remind you of anybody else in the Bible? Genesis? This is the same phrase that's used over and over for Joseph. In fact, David's story reminds me a lot of Joseph sometimes. The Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord was with Joseph. This is a precious little, little phrase. But had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. David had success in his undertakings. The Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before him. Why did I want to skip over verse 10? It's a hard one, isn't it? Harmful spirit came from God. I don't get it. I wish I had a great explanation for you. Mary, you had a good question. I thought I better have some courage and face it. So any good answers in the room? Yeah. Oh good. Oh thank you, Lord. Yeah. It goes along with your point about jurisdiction Uh in the spiritual realm. Yeah. Well, when there's an area of our heart we surrender. In an ungodly fashion, the enemy has legal ground or jurisdiction to take that over until we mm. surrender it back to God by his grace. Hmm. Maybe why that spirit, is, it's not so much sent by God as allowed by God because he surrendered territory from his heart. Yeah. It is a jurisdictional thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's insight. Isn't there... I just remember Luther saying something about um, that God uses the devil himself in his, for his purposes you know mm-hmm. the devil thinks he's doing his thing but ultimately you know the the trick is God is using the de- even the devil you know yeah no that, that's definitely that a couple of things in the New Testament that remind me that is so I handed him over to Satan Paul and then also the um, end of the book of Revelation we see that there's a, a dragon that's on a leash you know that there's this uh, you know and god at any time can you know um, restrain yeah in a sense god is not the evil spirit I, and i don't think there's anything evil about god but god can use evil spirits for his purposes yeah. you know yeah yeah so he's, he's the creator Everything's subject to yeah and i i i my my read on it i i i really agree with that i my read on it is that you know, um, the author especially is, is recognizing the absolute cosmic universal authority of God. You know, I mean, in fact, Goliath's, the, mo- the most offensive thing is not just the destruction, but the blasphemy that he speaks, you know, and, the, and so everything is at the control of God. I think it'd be hard to make a whole theology based on this verse, you know what I mean? This verse is meant to be read contextually, but we see a big God. It, you know, there's no way of coming away from this and not having a magnified view of God. I don't exactly know, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Um, I'm not seeing here, but I mean, the, the passage about God incited David to have a census versus Satan incited, and the lack of Satan anywhere in the, everything until, until the Babylonian exile. I mean, we, don't, we aren't even talking about Satan in no. general in any of this yeah. portion of the Bible, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point, too. That's a good point, too. Is it just mirrors? are things falling everywhere? <laughs> we better move on. Sorry, Mary. <laughs> what, what's the picture you see of Saul, though? in this exchange i see saul i see saul isolating you know he's he there anybody read the great divorce from uh c.s lewis i love the great divorce and there's this uh, one of my favorite parts in that um book is when i think it's these two chaps go off to the uh, no one can live with each other in the great divorce they just have to keep moving out it's urban sprawl uh because nobody likes being with each other it's this place called gray town it's the outer reaches of hell and it they 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 said uh in in this gray town nobody can live with each other they just keep moving out says these two chaps walked for days one time and finally they got out to this you know far away place and they looked inside this living room window and there was napoleon in the living room window and he was all by himself with his all decked out like an admiral you know his hat and his uh you know and he was it was so-and-so's fault. It was so-and-so's fault. It was so and un- He just lived in this hell of blame, you know. He lived in this hell of isolation. I mean, now, David is a threat not only because of what the people are saying about him, but David is a threat because his son loves David more than he loves himself. I mean, and his daughter, lo- daughters probably love David more than they love Saul. In fact, oh, it's a yucky, yucky story coming up about uh, when, when uh, Saul notices that McCall loves David and Saul goes, oh good, my daughter's fallen in love. No. He says, oh good, I can use this to manipulate David. First thing he thinks. Again, he, he uh, what, what's it called when you, um, uh, weaponize isn't the right word, uh, when you, um, Manipulate, that's a good word. Not the word I was thinking of. Anyway, it'll come to me later. Um, and what you see in David's life at this point is he's remaining God's friend. The Lord was with David. And the Lord was with David. We're going to see other places where David strengthened himself in the Lord, says. I don't know what that looked like. I think I might in my own life. Number of times here in this in this uh, book, First Samuel, uh, there's, the, there's that phrase that we use, you know, liturgically in the church, and have since the very beginning, "The Lord be with you." And it's this—it's uh, it, not just a wish, is it? It's like you know, I really hope the Lord is with you, but it's a, it's this really a prophetic, you know, reality: the Lord is with you we hear it before the the service of the word you know when the service of the word starts in the historic liturgy of the church the lord be with you and also if you let us pray and then we hear the reading of god's word after the prayer that brings us together to hear god's word we and god is with us isn't he in the reading of his of his word god is actually speaking we're not just recounting you know the old old story, but there God is incorporating us and in, into His Word. the Lord is with you, and then I love the we, we on Sunday morning we stood for the reading of the gospel. I, I didn't know exactly I always thought we did that because the gospel is more important than everything else, but that's not why we do it. The gospel's not more important than everything else, actually. It's all God's word, isn't it? Why do we stand for the reading of the gospel? I didn't know until I read an orthodox Eastern uh, Christian Alexander Schmemann. and he says. That, you know, it says when Jesus, when, when his parousia comes, when his coming comes, it says we will meet him. And so he says every single Sunday we have a, par, a little parousia, we have a little coming. Jesus is coming to speak to us in the gospel. So what do we do? We have a rapture. We, we rise to greet him. And it's getting us ready for the last day. Every single Sunday, we're getting ready for that last day when we go, I know that voice. That's the voice of my good shepherd who knows my name. And you've gotten used to it because you've been hearing the reading of the gospel from blah, 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 right? All these years, you've been getting to know the voice of the good shepherd and rising to to meet him. You imagine even the dead in Christ are gonna stand for the reading of the gospel on the last day. That's cool. And then the service of the Lord's Supper begins. And how does it usually begin? The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Also, this, this recognition that here God is He's coming because he said he, he promised to come. Don't you know, Paul says, when you eat this bread, you participate in the body of Christ. And when you drink this cup, you participate in his blood. This is this, we're, we're connecting with God. This is part of that remaining God's friend. The Lord be with you. Finally, the, the third thing here uh, on the affection of endurance is resting in God's stronghold. Resting in God's stronghold. I, 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 there, there's a number of places actually in Scripture that use this word stronghold. The prophets use the word stronghold um, lots, a lot of times in warning. You know, it's just the opposite, because there's, there's good strongholds, God provided strongholds, God himself is a stronghold. In um, Second uh, Corinthians 10, we were talking about uh, the, the bringing down strongholds that, uh, that are an offense to God, that raise their prideful uh, argument against God. Uh, David continually looked for this stronghold, this place that he could rest this place that he could renew, this place that he could recreate. He looked for Mount Carmel, didn't he? He looked for a place, uh, and it, what it, ultimately it's not just the place, it's who you meet in the place. Uh, and so th- he's always looking for strongholds. The opposite of it is finding protection, provision in another stronghold. And so the prophets, almost all the prophets, speak against the strongholds. Some of it, they, I, I like to use, say they use smack talk, like basketball kind of talk. Like One time he says, I, I know about your strongholds, I forget where it is, and I will bring them down. Doesn't that sound like smack talk? I'm going to bring you down. And uh, so he, God is actually opposed to strongholds that are not either provided by him or him himself. He will oppose strongholds. And, it, and if you're living in a stronghold that isn't God-provided, it will exhaust you. If you find, try to find salvation in something else, I mean big S salvation and little-s salvation, the kind of the Lord is my salvation, like we sang. Sometimes we call the little-s salvation solutions. That's okay. You can call it a solution. A lot of times we think, well, God will be in charge of my, you know, biggest salvation, right? I mean, heaven. And then I'm in charge of all the solutions. And God says, I, I, my call is a lot more universal than that. It's bigger than that. I'm in charge of salvation. And so the, the, the exhaustion that comes, the, the, the attack on our endurance that comes, oftentimes is by... Recognizing that we're living in a stronghold other than God provided one, um, we've found we've tried to find, like I say, provision or protection in another stronghold. the The dangerous thing is really because they the oftentimes addictive behavior gets connected to that, right? We take that like I showed Johan's um, cycle of pain yesterday, and we keep on going back to that medication. And when we come out of the stupor of whatever that medication has provided, the pain is so acute, even more acute than it was in the first place, that we medicate again. And then it's just the cycle that, that goes down. That is oftentimes a, 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 a stronghold. Probably the most spiritual people that meet in our building aren't our, our Sunday morning congregations, but uh, AA on Tuesday night. Those people get real. Uh, I love being around on AA night. Um, And I love that, you know, our church hosts them. One of my favorite things at our church, I love our church, you know, building and campus and so forth, but one of my favorite things about our church is we have a a cigarette um, receptacle right when you walk up to the church. And some people why do we have that there? I mean people in California hardly even smoke anymore, you know But I just love it. I Love why do I love it? What's it say to everybody who's ever smoked or who does still smoke? I guess they were expecting me to come here Uh, It's mostly used by AA people on Tuesday night that in the coffee urn, right and In the lounge man, they get real they get real about strongholds. They get real about their stinking thinking. They get real about their isolation is death. There's just no veneer. And uh, they, they're getting at, they're getting at um, the strongholds. Strongholds, I, I, there's, where do I go for provision? Where do I go for protection? This is a way to find what your strongholds are. Where do I go for provision? Where do I go for protection? Where do I go for escape? Where do I go for rest? Where do I go for sanctuary? Where do I go for, I already said protection. It's amazing when you're in a room and one person takes their phone out. Do you know the self-control it takes not to take yours out? This is the new the Lord be with you and also with you, right? We have to. <laughs> and if I'm, fi- and there's a, there's a rise in, uh, there, no wonder there's this rise, huge rise in anxiety in our, our uh, culture and in me. You know, this anxiousness and the phone easily becomes a stronghold for me. It's just so much more comfortable to kind of step out of what I'm, the conversation that is currently here, the relationship that is currently here, the conflict that is potentially here, the, and to kind of go into my own sanctuary. I, it's so nice because I can take it anywhere I go, right? I don't even have to go anywhere for the stronghold. It goes with me everywhere I go. Um, maybe for others, it's work. I talked to someone recently who said, you know, I've been noticing I've been going to work a lot lately, and it's not to work. It's to get away to get away um maybe it's an avocation or maybe it's church (laughs) church is wonderful but if church is religion or you know church can be a wonderful excuse to get out of your real life uh you know you can it's hard for anybody to say you have to volunteer so much at church i mean that that feels so unspiritual to say that to someone but if they're not you know um living in their own jurisdiction, if they're not living in their own... if It, it, it itself can be a very seductive and subtle stronghold. Um, religious activity. There's addictive behaviors in religion, too. And uh, it's, it's really hard to call, call people on it, call a spouse on it, you know, because it looks... Well, at least they're at church, you know, keeps them off the streets, right? Um... So that's resting in God's stronghold. My favorite passages are 2 Corinthians ten three through 5. I go back to that a lot because I recognize and Paul recognized that the strongholds that we face are strongholds that are having to do with our stinking thinking, pulling down opinion, lofty opinions and arguments made and every stronghold that sets itself up against God um, and that we can have the mind of Christ. Psalm 27 is one of my favorite ones, too. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Why should I be afraid? Some of these verses are so, so meaningful in battle as you face endurance. Let's take, a, let's take five minutes, um, and it looks like there's some snacks coming out there. So if you don't mind, let's take five minutes just to chat a little bit with with someone else, if you're able to, want to, able to, uh, on some of these heart checkups. Did I put them in your thing? Are there any of God's offices under attack or under pressure in your life, which one or which ones? What What are some of the other offices that God gives us? we we talked about marriage we've talked about we, we talked about Saul as king and David as king in waiting what are some other off pa- we talked about uh, offices parents parents uh, and children and it's you know the uh, yeah both i mean other offices neighbor, neighbor. absolutely citizen, citizen. That one's easy now, all the time. Okay, there's, there's all these different vocations, all these different offices, and which ones are under attack or under pressure in your life? In Romans 5, 3, Paul writes that there's a force that produces endurance. What is that force? You can look it up, or maybe you know it. Oh, I just hinted at a number, the third question. In the middle of suffering or testing, where does God provide a resting place or a time of rest? Where is God providing that rest now? It's at the beginning. In fact, you have to be kind of be careful about how many things you start because it's really easy to start things. Um, and it's hard to continue them and to end them. So just say this about uh, endurance to begin. Mark 4, 4 16 says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately they fall away so we have even a picture word picture in the scripture about uh that which doesn't endure you know and it's the what what is what is it marked by no roots no roots the roots haven't had time to go uh deep and god is gracious to you, you, we have a intern program we started at our church and i had a Dream of having four guy interns and four gal interns. We were starting to set aside. We we, we had an, we owned part of an apartment building across the street from the church, and um, we had rented them out. And thank God we weren't like relying on the income for our normal our normal operations. That was wise from the people that uh, had set that policy because I was ready to use one of the apartments for either men or women. And, uh, and, you know, so we're ready for eight interns and crickets, you know. Uh, and then we got one. Then we got one. Kira Blackstead. And we had a really, really good exit interview with her. We learned a lot while she was there. Um, and we learned even more when she was leaving, You know, she was gracious but honest with us about how it could be strengthened. And then we got a call from Stephen Wagner, and he said, I've been talking to Kira about the internship program. Here's what she said. And then we learned a lot more when we heard secondhand. (laughs) And uh, then we had Matt Colden. We had a gal, and then we had a guy. And uh, then we had a, a, a third that won't be named. That was more of a challenge. And man, did we learn a lot from the third one. More, we learned more from the third one than we learned from the two easy ones. Um, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, and what, what's happening? I don't even know what's happening. I, I only know now because of hindsight. God was doing root work. You know, he's doing rooted work. There was, it, there was all the endurance in the world to begin something because it was fresh and new and shiny. But I didn't know we needed roots, and we did. And then um, God does this massive shake-up at Trinity, you know, one of the most peaceful shake-ups I've ever been a part of, thank God. Um, but he's setting the stage, you know, and all of a sudden now with five, maybe six living in the intern apartments next year, you know, and I didn't, I thought I'd lowered my expectations after having my expectations lowered for a few years. And all of a sudden, you know, God even did more than what my expectations were. And I just have to trust that we're ready and we're going to learn a lot more from all those that are going to be living um, there. So that's, that's endurance to begin um the neighboring pastor uh, to me pastor ziley said it's not how you begin that counts but how you end i asked him when he was ending retiring from 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 ministry endurance to continue proverbs 18:14 says a man's spirit will endure sickness but a crushed spirit who can bear this is where the testing comes isn't it the time in the middle um, and the time in the middle of your life, and the time in the middle of your marriage, and the time in the min- middle of your, you know, job. The honeymoon is—we call all the beginning parts honeymoon, don't we? You know, the beginning of your job is a honeymoon. The beginning of your marriage is a honeymoon. The beginning of, you know, and when the honeymoon is is over, you're in the middle part. And w- where does endurance to continue come from? I love, I love this um, kind of poet-philosopher. You know, I didn't know how to say it, so I wrote out the pronunciation for us in the handout. Stanislaw Letz. Would you ever say his name that way? Some of you would, because you know how to say names like that. But I like his quote, He who limps is still walking. Why endurance? Well, we're beginning to look at Romans 5, three. That the cross and the experience of the cross in our life. Suffering produces endurance. The connection with hope we can even see in Hebrews when it says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he what? Endured the cross. Um, And so there's there's this sight, you know, uh, that is beyond the suffering. It's beyond the cross. But it's the, the cross is there for a reason. The cross is there to crucify the old, the old self. The cross is there uh, to, to, um, to bring us into uh, the, the new self. The, the cross is there uh, to work patience in us and to work compassion in us. To, tender, to tenderize us. When I had reached the time of, I, I don't know if it would be, um, you know, definable burnout. It felt like what I would think burnout feels like. Um, in, in my call, uh, I was cold. My, my affect was, was um, f- fake. When people were hurting, I acted like a warm person would act but i didn't i wasn't feeling anymore i was just cold and i was worried because i'm not usually cold i'm usually the one who cries you know in our family and i wasn't crying anymore and i wasn't you know i mean there was just this i would call it cold um heart and my sabbatical started thank you jesus and the first two months of the sabbatical were at home because the kids were still in school. Then we we're going to go on a big adventure. Um, but uh, I, I knew if I'm sitting at home at 5 o'clock on Sunday and I hear all the buzz, because our, our house is right next to the church, I hear all the buzz on the lower parking lot. I'm going, what are they talking about? What are they doing? What's going on? Is it going okay over there? Do they need some help? You know, so I thought, I better get out of the house. So I... I walked over to the um catholic church they have five o'clock mass on sunday sunday night too they call it the teen mass life teen mass sitting there and i was just hearing the hearing the word listening to the lessons you know i saw some people from the community that i know and it was funny one guy had brought his kids to youth group at trinity then went to mass and i went to his church you know at that at that uh night and i was sitting listening i i remember the the epistle reading was from second corinthians i think it was that special part in second corinthians five and i'm just sitting listening to the word there was no it was nothing with the preaching you know there's just not much else to move there's no violins playing or anything you know i mean it's just the word and all of a sudden i just hearing the word of god i the ugly cry came you know it was not the one not the one you want to come out in public have you had that before? (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I was just like, what is wrong with that guy? Can we get security over in uh, the font area, you know? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just sat there and my prayer was, thank you that my heart is not dead. You know, there, you have, you have preserved, you've kept, kept it alive and but it it was the experience of the of the cross the 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 um old you know formation process of prayer and so forth um luther tweaked tweaked it to be more biblical really is the the formation of us as christians is is not that you know we start in in meditation and then hear reading but that we we hear first god speaks to us through his word oratio you know we hear it spoken that's what happened to me in the church that day i heard the word and then meditatio we meditate on that word and we respond to god this is the beauty of the trip you know the daily the daily text we hear we hear the word of god we we chew on it, we reflect on it, digest it. This is for me, right? And then he says in the third, the third way that God forms us through something called tentatio. And he said, don't go looking for it. It's, it's affliction or suffering or the cross. If you go looking for it, that's called a martyr complex. Don't do it. Luther says, don't go looking for tentatio. It'll find you. It knows where you live and it knows what you need for that next, for that next, the, the rootedness to go, to go deep. My Torrance friends, you guys know trees in California, they get pruned. Like, you don't see trees like this in California, do you? When I come back here, I'm just like, I can't believe these trees. And the trees in California, the pruner comes through and I think, what did you have against that tree? <laughs> it looks like a poodle that has had a groomer like. That was mean, you know. And, but I, and I asked them, I, why do you prune your trees like this? These coral trees are gorgeous trees, you know. And the pruner comes by, and I'm like, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. And three years later, it's back to, you know, beautiful. And they said, well, the, the roots, uh, all the roots of most trees in California are all up with the sprinklers. And so if there's any weather, as we call it in Minnesota, you know, down the tree goes, because it doesn't have roots that actually... Go deep. Old trees. There's old trees in California that do, but almost all the new trees in most developed areas, you know, are really nominal. The root system is nominal, and uh, and so they, they they need that because when the wind comes and the storm comes down down they go. And it's a good metaphor, isn't it, of of much much of Christianity really that there's a there's a lack of rootedness. Um, in fact, the, the the most popular messages, really, if you go on iTunes podcasts or in television uh, preaching, is the exact opposite message of this. That 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 um, if if you're experiencing suffering, if you're experiencing the cross, that isn't what God intends. You know, that isn't what it's supposed to be in your life. You're supposed to experience. Blessing you're in in their definition of blessing hashtag blessing, right? When you're you're eating amazing food hashtag blessing you see an amazing sunset hashtag blessing when you have a Marriage that everybody else should be jealous of hashtag blessing You know when you go on a date hashtag blessing when you're having all the wonderful things in your life that you dare put on social media it's hashtag blessing You don't put on Instagram just had a rip-roaring fight with my spouse hashtag blessing <laughs> Man, my kids are a disappointment. Hashtag #Blessings <laughs> had corn dogs for the third night in a row. Hashtag #Blessings <laughs> right? You don't do that. I mean, you, the normal normal life we they call it. We curate our life. I mean, we're like museum curators that are showing people the nice parts bits of our life, right? And it's such a burden to everybody else to have with their ordinary lives and their their normal lives. And but guess what? It is corn. If you have corn dogs three nights in a row, it's hashtag blessings. There's ways that God can use rip, worn, fight with your wife to experience grace like you've never experienced it before, and your roots will go deeper. Your kids can be a grave disappointment to you, and you can go up to them and say, "But I, my love will never end for you." Hashtag blessing. Experience forgiveness. Tentatio will find you, affliction will find you, suffering will find you, and you won't see it as the grace of God in the moment. You won't see it as the grace of God in the moment. David's endurance was tested from expected and unexpected sources. Who's surprised when a Philistine afflicts David? We are all like, saw that coming. Why? Because Philistines, we know, are bad guys, right? But it kind of stinks, doesn't it, when his own family is the source of affliction? (laughs) They're, They're at the end of their, you know, oftentimes David's at the end of his rope. He's hungry as can be, and God provides the bread of the presence, you know, from the holy place. It's an unexpected, unexpected blessing, They're wandering out after they've lost all of their wives and kids. And they're ready to kill David because they need to blame someone. And David's like, David's just as distraught as everybody else is because two of his wives, I think two of his wives were taken, maybe one, but we'll have to look it up. Um, And all of a sudden, there's this Egyptian out in the middle of the, nowhere like what in the world's an egyptian doing here and the egyptian says i'm a, I was a slave of the people that took your wife and kids they thought i was going to die but b- before he can say any of that he's completely almost on the verge of death and he they they nurse him back to health david and his people nurse this egyptian and his uh, back to health. Give them some food. Give them some rest. And when he comes up, he goes. I think I know where they took your, where they took your wives and kids. That's an unexpected source. Tentatio, affliction, suffering is unexpected typically, and it's not. You don't have to go looking for it. It'll find you. But there's the source. God provides source. Unexpected sources sometimes, but also ordinary and expected sources um, of, sustaining, of sustaining grace. I think we'll pick up a little bit on endurance tomorrow.